growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you don't see the characteristics in a man that you are dating, if you don't see the characteristics that you're looking for in that man while you're dating, you're probably not going to see those characteristics in their life. Love. Few things come as easy to us and yet seem so hard to maintain. With marital relationships failing at an alarming rate, it seems that what we need is a better understanding of what love looks like. It is a selfless act, and that's what love is. Whether we're talking about the love between a man and a woman, whether we're talking about the love of a child to a parent, or a parent to a child, or a brother and sister in Christ, the opportunity to give selflessly. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in the middle of a series entitled Life, Love, Legacy, The Story of Ruth. And today we're taking a look at the love relationship between Ruth and Boaz. Some of the customs of those days may seem a little strange to us, but the characteristics of love that we find in their relationship are just as important for relationships today. As we're about to hear, Pastor Clay is going to help us learn about love from a man named Boaz. Now here's this week's Crosswalk. This series is about the life of Ruth, and it's a story. Now it's a real story with real people in real situations, who had real problems and real struggles and real trials in their life. In other words, it's a situation, it's a life that most of us can probably relate to because that is life, isn't it? It is up, it is down, it is good, it is bad, meaning our circumstances. It is the events of life, it is the stuff of life. And the story of Ruth is about life. Now, in literary terms, uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth, is what is referred to as, or what is known as, uh, in narrative form, which simply means that it's it's presented in story form. It's a narrative, but the book of Ruth, along with the other books of the Bible also make up a, a larger story, a, a bigger overarching story. And that, in literary terms, is referred to as the meta-narrative. The meta-narrative is, is the bigger story that's being told uh, within all of the stories that are being told. In other words, uh, in, in the Bible, you have all of these different styles, all of these different genres you have all of these different stories and all these different truths. You, 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 have, uh, you have history. You have um, uh, poetry. You have uh, prophetic. You have narrative. You have uh, didactive or, or, or instructional. You have all these different styles. You have all these different teachings. But, but they're telling one overarching story. He passed away a number of years ago, but a pastor by the name of W.A. Criswell famously referred to 
the, the Bible's meta-narrative, the Bible's big story, as the scarlet thread. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, you have one story being told, and it's the story of redemption. It's the story of God's plan for mankind, which included His intentions to redeem us, to buy us back out of sin through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the meta-narrative. That's the big story of the Bible. Ashley shared a little bit about that this morning. I just could have listened to Ashley just talk about the power of God to change our lives and how, how He does that. But... Within all of those different books, within all those different stories, besides the overarching truth that we learn, there are other truths that we can take and apply to our lives. And that's what we've been doing in the book of Ruth. Quite honestly, in the next week or two, we're going to probably, in the book of Ruth, look a little more at the the meta-narrative, the big story. But today, we're continuing to look at some of the love relationships within the book of Ruth and the lessons that we can learn from them, certain characteristics. When we started this series, if you were here, I said that there are really three love stories in the book of Ruth that we can learn from. A love story between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, a love story between a man and a woman, and a love story between God and us. Today, we're kind of focusing for a few moments on the love story between a man and a woman named Boaz and Ruth. And like I did when we looked at the love story, the love that was between this mother-in-law and daughter-in-law between uh, Naomi and Ruth, the same way I did with that, I want to look at this love story today and look at some of the characteristics of love from their story that we can take and pull into our lives and say, those are characteristics that should be in my life, in in those that I love. Those are characteristics that should show up. And they are, by the way. Those characteristics uh, aren't restricted to to some cultural context. Those love characteristics aren't restricted to a historical period of time. They're love characteristics based on the love of God. And so those characteristics have the same um, application For our lives today, we're going to begin uh, reading in Ruth chapter 2. We're going to read more of it, but we're going to read at the beginning here verses 1 through 9 of Ruth chapter 2 as we're looking at this love story and what we can learn from the characteristics that we find there. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. A man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, if you've not been here with us, Elimelech was Naomi's husband who had died down in Moab when they went down to Moab during the time of the famine. So, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain... After one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. 
And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, and she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. And now she has been sitting in the house for a little while, meaning a, almost certainly meaning a little lean-to shed that they would have put up out in the fields because it was so hot and they would take breaks uh, to come in out of the, the sun for a little while. And then Boaz, verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. As I said, we're going to read some more of this story in a few moments, but I want to stop right here and give you uh, this first characteristic. And really, this, this is the only characteristic we're going to look at this morning. We'll, we'll add some things to and talk about detailing this characteristic. But this characteristic of love that we find here in uh, Ruth chapter 2, and that is this. Love is giving. Now, that probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. You probably recognize that right off the bat. But what I want you to see is how this love is given here in Ruth chapter 2. But it is a characteristic of love. It's giving. As we, as we dive into chapter 2, we're introduced to this new character. A man by the name of Boaz. And he is rich. He got money. The text says in verse 1 that he was a man of great wealth. Now, probably what made Boaz wealthy was the fact that he owned land. And the land was now producing great amounts of grain after the famine that had been in the land. Remember, there had been a great famine in Israel, but now the land is producing again, and it's producing grain, and there's a great high demand for, for grain, for food, for bread, for whatever else. And so it has, it has made uh, Boaz a rather wealthy man. Ironically enough, uh, Elimelech, as we, and we'll see some of this later in, in its significance, but Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, also owned land in the Bethlehem area, and his family probably would have been doing pretty well at this point also if they had not departed to Moab for Moab in the first place because of the famine. But Boaz uh, is, is a wealthy man. He's doing well. His fields are doing well. And he goes out to the fields to begin to just check and see what things are. And one of the things that we see about this characteristic of love and of giving in Boaz is, is this, is that Boaz gave what was needed generously. He gave what was needed generously. He went way above and beyond what was expected. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But we can learn a little bit about Boaz and the kind of, kind of man that he was just by his interaction when he, when he comes up, he rides up, whatever the case may be, when he comes up and there are his employees right there. And that's what it was. You know, you read the word servants. I know you read the word servants, but it was different in, in those days or particularly different in the nation of Israel. 
They weren't servants in the sense of slaves or anything like that. They, people could voluntarily indenture themselves. They could enter into a contract with somebody and work for them to, uh, to, to pay for their family's needs and all that kind of stuff. But they are basically his employees. And you can learn about Boaz and the heart that this guy has just by the way he interacts with them when he comes up on his employees. I mean, remember, I already said, Boaz, he, 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 he's doing well. And I know it's not true of everybody, but, but it seems like uh, uh, that uh, many people that are extremely wealthy tend to, be, tend to think of themselves as, as all that. You know what I'm saying? You know, and here comes Boaz, he comes down, and he's not acting like all that. He's not acting all aloof and like, oh, you, you, you are my employees. You know, what are you, what are you doing even looking at me? You know, there's none of that. So he comes up and he greets them. He blesses them. And, and they respond to him. You can tell there's this interaction, this relationship between them. He treats them less like employees and really more like family members, which was part of his responsibility, by the way, under Levitical law. Part of what he was supposed to do. And Ruth shows up in Boaz's field. I love how the text puts it there in the latter part of verse 3. It says, And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Someone has said that uh, coincidences are simply God choosing to remain anonymous. Clearly, God is at work in this circumstance. Clearly, God is engineering this circumstance to bring Boaz and Ruth together at this precise moment. And she comes into Boaz's field, and what she finds is a man who provides for her generously. Now, let me, let me explain to you what's going on. Israelites, the, the Jews, those that own land were instructed in Leviticus chapter 19, they were instructed that when they uh, went in and, and reaped their harvest, when they went in and, and got the grain after it all grown, in Leviticus chapter 19, they were instructed to purposely leave part of the grain in place, to not, to not reap at all, to not gather all of the grain. They were to leave a portion for uh, those that were destitute, that were financially very bad off, they didn't have any means of providing for themselves, or for foreigners, those that weren't Jews that were residing in the land. And they were to intentionally leave part of their harvest in the fields so that these people could come along and that they could harvest it and they could, they could get enough to, to live off of. You could, you could kind of think of it as a biblical version of work fair. They, it, it, was, it, was, it really shows God's love and his provision for all those who will trust in him and just believe that God will make provision for them. And so that's the case in, in, uh, in Ruth chapter 2 when, when Ruth comes into the land and she comes to this field and here is Boaz and he, and he provides generously. But what we see is that he provides not just what the law required, he goes way above and beyond that. Now, some people might say, might argue and say, well, Ruth and Boaz aren't even in love at this point. No, they're not, although certainly she has caught his eye because he says, hey, who's that young maiden over there? <laughs> certainly she has caught his eye. But they may not, I mean, they don't know each other yet. They, so, though, you know, in that sense, they may not be in love. But what I'm saying to you is that a characteristic of love is that, is, that it is giving and that it is giving generously. And you see it, I think you even see it in the interaction between Boaz and his servants. But you certainly see it in what he extends to Ruth. 
It's giving, and it's giving generously. And by the way, that gives me an opportunity to say um, to any of you ladies perhaps here that are single, and I don't know how many ladies we have here that are single, that might have uh, some ideas of desiring to get married someday. Can I, can I just say to you, um, if you don't see the characteristics in a man that you are dating, if you don't see the characteristics that you're looking for in that man while you're dating, you're probably not going to see those characteristics in their life. You understand what I'm saying? And, 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 the, and, and the other way around as well. If you see some things in their life that, that don't quite line up or you're not sure about or, or, or whatever, listen, I'm, I'm just telling you, all right? Let, let you ladies in on a little secret. You're getting the best we got, all right? When you're dating us, you're getting the best, you're getting the best we got because, because we are, as the old saying goes, we want to put our best foot forward, Right? Right, guys? And it, by the way, it works the other way as well. I'm not, but best foot forward, as the old saying goes, but we want to walk right and talk right and look right and smell right because we, we want to impress you. It is astounding to me what ladies will sometimes overlook in a guy because they're in love. Oh, I, I, I know he's got a temper, but... but, but that, that'll, that, when we get married and stuff, and that, that'll, that'll go away. Well, I know, I know he wastes a lot of money, but, but once we're married, he's going to be much more responsible. I, I just really know that he is. Oh, I know he hangs out with his buddies every, every, every weekend, every Saturday. But once we're married, you know, he's going to want to, want to be with me all, all the time. And, and I know it's going to be much, much better. Oh, sure, I know he gets buzzed every time we go out. But, but you don't understand. I mean, his job's really stressful, and, and that's going to get, get better. Now, listen, I'm not saying that God can't change people, okay? I am walking, talking, living, breathing evidence of the power of God to change a man. But I'm just telling you that, that you're getting the best you're going to get. If you're dating one right now, you're getting the best you're going to get, and you'd better take a good, hard look, okay? All right, now, back to Boaz and Ruth. Sorry, a little Side step there. Uh, back to Boaz and Ruth. There, there's this love that Boaz is demonstrating generously. It's a characteristic of love. It's giving. Let me also say this, and then we'll move on. That doesn't mean, guys, in case we're sweating this, and everybody, that doesn't mean that, that, that we all have to be wealthy and give our uh, spouses extravagant gifts. Although, I doubt if any of our spouses would complain about that. Would you, ladies? Maybe so. It doesn't mean necessarily. When it, when it, Bo, yes, Boaz was wealthy. And he gave generously. But to give generously doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be wealthy and you give all these extravagant gifts. What it means is that whatever the needs are, and that's what we're talking about at this point. Ruth had needs. I mean, they're just trying to, they're just trying to survive, man. They're just trying to eke out a living. Whatever the needs are that, that the people we love have, we try and meet those needs, and we try and do it generously. We're not saying, oh, okay, so how little will I have to do and, you know, meet the requirement? Or how, how little can I do for her or for him or whatever? No, it's to give and to give generously. That's a characteristic of love. Uh, here's a, another characteristic of that, of that characteristic of love, and it is this, what Boaz did. Boaz gave what was needed emotionally. He gave what was needed generously, and he gave what was needed emotionally. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 10, the story. And then she fell on her face, 
bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. I'm, I'm, I'm not even a Jew. I'm a Moabite. And you have done this for me. I believe what you find here is a response from Ruth as a result of what Boaz does for her, of, the, of this giving to her generously. Hey, listen, life has been hard for Ruth. If you've, been read, if you've read the story before, if you're joining us, you've been in this series, you, understand, you know that. Life has been hard for Ruth. She has, she has buried a husband. She has uh, traveled a, a, a distance with her mother-in-law and had come back to a strange land. As Boaz says, she has left her home. She's left her family. She's left everything she's ever known. And she's, because of her love for her mother-in-law, she has come into this place. Even though, if you remember, if you're with us, even though her mother-in-law warned her ahead of time, she said, listen, I... I uh, there's nothing I can do for you. I can't give you any more sons. You're going here. It's going to be hard. If you stay in your own land, you'll be able to, to ha- have a family again and all that stuff. And she said, no, I'm going with you. I'm going where your God takes us and I'm going. Because of her love, she goes through all this adversity, all this hardship. She shows up. They're in it. I don't even know where they're staying. They have nothing. And she, and she says, can I go out in the fields? Can I, can I gather some some grain, and, and Naomi says, yeah, go, go get, <laughs> we need something to eat. It's been hard. And I'm not saying that Ruth isn't tough, okay? You don't go through what she's been through and not get some toughness in, in your life. But I am of the belief that this was an emotional moment in Ruth's life. I believe that that this emotion came pouring out of her as a result of this total stranger pouring into her life love and provision. Look, look at the words that, that she uses in verse 13. You have spoken kindly to your maidservant. You have, I have found favor in your sight. You have comforted me. Here's this man that she didn't even know suddenly coming up to her and making provision in her life. And it was... It met an emotional need in her life. Let me just stop right here and say um, that as a general rule, okay, uh, women tend to be a little more emotional than men. Is that a, is that a fair statement to make? You know, and, and is it a fair statement to say that, that women tend to be more emotionally needy than, than men? Now, that's not, I'm not... I'm not saying, number one, I'm not saying that men aren't needy, all right? Men are needy. Are they not, ladies? <laughs> I'm not saying that men aren't needy. I'm just saying that they tend to not be as emotionally needy as ladies. And I'm also not saying that emotional needs are a bad thing. I, I'm not saying that at all either. 
I'm just saying, as a general rule, uh, women tend to be more emotional than men tend to be. Now, because women tend to be more emotional than men tend to be, men tend to not handle emotional needs of women as well as we might handle those emotional needs of women. Would you agree with that, ladies? We tend to not handle some of those things as well, including your pastor. This is an area that, that we sometimes struggle in because we're men. We, we, don't, we don't get it. It's just, you know, it's just not, so we tend to not handle this thing as well. We, we sometimes, <laughs> we, we say things like, um, uh, we say things like, well, it's not that big a deal. Or, I don't know what you're getting so upset about. Or, the classic, you love this one, ladies. Well, you just need to get over that. You love that one, right? Well, you just need to get over it. When in fact, you and I as men need to stop and consider, and I'm, it, again, this goes both ways, the, the needs that we have and that it's a characteristic of love is that we look for ways to meet those needs, including the emotional needs that we often have in our life, which is exactly what I think happened to Ruth. I think she basically loses it at this moment when, when Boaz extends such kindness to her. Remember, gentlemen... I know we don't always understand. I know we don't always get it. I know we always... But remember, Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Remember that one, guys? Which basically means that you and I... And I'm picking on men for a little bit right now. But basically means that you and I as men, as husbands, have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our whatever, to meet the needs of those that we love and particularly to meet the needs of our spouse. And some of those needs, I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. No way around it. Some of those needs are emotional. Now, let me say this also, ladies. Uh, Many of the emotional needs that ladies have have a faith solution, okay? What I'm saying is, is that that the, the oftentimes some of the things that cause emotional things in your life, <laughs> when, when it ca- what causes emotions to well up and it causes you, so that some of those things um, are, are a, an opportunity to trust God in a situation and to say, oh man, I can see where, where, where my flesh wants to, I can see where I'm going to go with this, I can see, but no, God is on his throne, God is going to work, God is in this situation, God's not going to abandon me. There, there is a faith element to this at times in our lives that we can respond, man or, male or female, we can respond by faith and by doing so glorify God in that situation. But having said that, men, it is our responsibility to meet the needs of our spouse and we need to be to be sensitive to that. Uh, let me say this too. And this is, this is a thing. I'll just tell you. I'm just being honest. All right. This is one thing my wife is still trying to teach me about this. All right. After almost 35 years of marriage. She's still trying to teach me about this one. And that is. I mean we're men. Right. Something's broke. You fix it. That's the way it is. Broke. You fix it. Right. Guys. Let me let you in on a little something here. Your spouse. If you're married. Your spouse don't always want you to fix it. I don't want you to fix them. That's what we're really trying to do, right? <laughs> they don't really want us to fix it. Sometimes they just want us to 
hold them, be there with them. Maybe not even saying a word. So it's not always about fixing the situation. Sometimes it's just about ministering to them and being there for them. Okay, all right, real quickly. Um, it, a characteristic of love is that it's giving. It gives generously, and it, it, it meets needs emotionally. And then one more this morning, and that's this. Uh, Boaz gave what was needed selflessly. And in some ways, this is the hardest part of the whole thing. Let's pick it up in verse uh, 14. At mealtime, Boaz uh, said to her, to, Bo, uh, to uh, Ruth, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he, watch this, and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left, had leftovers. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. In other words, don't run her off. Don't. The law required that after the reapers came through, then people could come into the fields and they could pick whatever was left. Boaz says, no, don't, don't do that. You just let her come right in and join right in, with you in the harvest. So let her glean from the best that's there. Let her be right beside you. And don't you say a thing to her. Don't try and run her off. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Verse 16, also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. The stuff you've already picked, go ahead and pull some of that out and lay it around for her to get. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. That was a pretty significant amount for one woman to get in a day. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. In other words, from her lunch, she gave her her leftovers. Her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? In other words, this is not normal. This is not what you're going to normally get when you go out there. May he who took notice of you be blessed. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. I'll explain next week the significance of that. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in, an open other, in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Um, real quickly, let me, let me just try and say this quickly as I can. Um, what we have on display here, I think, is an incredible uh, demonstration of humility on the part of Boaz. Remember, Boaz is wealthy. He is well-to-do. He is respected in the community. He's well-known. And, and he comes out into the fields to check on the progress and how his harvest is coming. And here is this, this Moabitess. And I've already talked about the animosity between Moabites and, and, and Jews and what the Moabites had done to the Jews and all that kind of stuff. Here's this Moabitess 
beggar, for lack of a better term. That's, that's, she's just out in the fields hoping to get enough to, to live off of. And, and Boaz fulfills his duty to the law. He makes provision for her so that she can glean. But watch, that's not enough. He then says, well, don't just, don't just let her, you just let her come right alongside you and harvest and let her keep whatever she gets. But that's not enough. He says, as a matter of fact, why don't you just let her uh, get some of the grain that you've already picked. You just go ahead and pull some of that out and, and leave it for her. And in that whole situation, the whole thing going on, biggest of all, he says, come, come, my daughter. It's just a term of affection. He says, come, my daughter, sit down, sit with my maids. They're eating lunch now. They're taking a break. You sit right with them. You've got to sit off of the, at the side. You're, you're not some outcast. You come, you sit right here with them. And then, of all things, Boaz, this respected member of the community, this man, okay? Folks, it, was, it would have been virtually in unheard of for a man to serve a woman in that day. Not because God intended it that way, but because the cultural influences had made it so that women were basically, for the most part, treated like second-class citizens. And here is this well-to-do, well-established, well-respected Jew man bending down and serving this Moabitess who has nothing. That's what love gives most of all. It gives yourself. It gives selflessly. Now, someone might say, this, Boaz is just trying to buy her affection. Boaz is just trying to buy her love. Because he's giving her this grain. Because there is no question. All right, This man is spending some serious cash on this woman about now. I mean, this is money coming out of his pocket. All this grain that he's... Just give it to her. Just let her take it all. But remember... Boaz gave himself. That's what he gave. First and foremost, he gave himself. It is a selfless act, and that's what love is. Whether we're talking about the love between a man and a woman, whether we're talking about the love of a child to a parent, or a parent to a child, or a brother and sister in Christ, or whoever it might be, the opportunity to give selflessly. Now, um, I could say a lot more about that, but let me give you, I think you've got a note to this to fill in if you want to, want to do this. Let me give you a, a, one piece of advice and one warning about this, okay? Because uh, this is not easy, right? All right, so let me, let me just give you the, the uh, one piece of advice. Remember who you're doing it for, okay? Remember who you're doing it for. Do you, do you think it's for your spouse? No, they're not worth it. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? It's not, it's not really about them. They'll disappoint you. They'll let you down. They'll take advantage of you. You know, because that's, that's one of the things we're like, oh, but if I do that, if I, if I just serve and serve and serve and serve, they're just going to expect me to do that all the time, probably. If, if I just give and give and give, if I just serve and serve and just, you know, they're just going to take advantage of me, almost certainly. But remember, this is, this is really not about them. This is about honoring the Lord God with our lives. So remember who you're doing it for. You're doing it for God. You're not doing it for them. And the warning is this. Be careful that you don't develop a martyr's complex. Uh, that, I think I mentioned this even not long ago in, in another message. But I just know how, how 
readily that idea can jump on us when we're serving and doing and giving and sacrificing and how, you know, oh, I just, I can't believe I have to do all this. This, I can't believe people are taking advantage of me. I can't believe all this. That happens to us. It's going to to come on us. And one of the things that you've got to, to make sure is in those moments that you say, Lord God, to you be the glory. You give me the strength. You help me to do what I need to do. You give me wisdom to know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. But Lord God, don't let me take on the role of a martyr that, oh, poor me. This is what I have. Because remember, this is about the glory of God. This is about the glory of God. Love gives. It gives generously. It meets emotional as well as physical needs. And it gives first and foremost of ourselves. Thanks, Pastor. And we look forward to hearing the rest of the story next week. But as we've heard today, love meets the needs of the other, and it does it selflessly. Boaz went well beyond what was expected, and there's a lesson there for all of us and our love relationships. Our culture teaches us to look at ourselves, but God's Word teaches us to deny ourselves and serve others in love. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.